welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production. And as always, we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Higgins, and it's a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. There's a lot to get into. The long-awaited wait is over, and boy, am I happy. It has been a long time since we've gotten any football content, and training camp is finally here. So we got a full week's worth of content to talk about. I'll give you the latest news, updates, and breakdowns, and a few little notes from training camp along the way. We have a ton to get into, and I'm super excited about it as this Seahawks season has gotten started. Let's go and talk some Hawks. A big part of saying hello to the 2020 NFL regular season for the Seattle Seahawks had a lot to do with saying goodbye. As the Seahawks retired, three, I'm not kidding, three players this past week as training camp started, most notable was K.J. Wright, who it was great to see sign a one-day contract to officially retire a Seattle Seahawk. K.J. had mentioned previously in, v- in various media outlets that if he wasn't playing for the Seahawks, then he was going to retire. And it seems that both ended up coming true for K.J. Wright as he had an emotional farewell and press conference with – we got to see the – Great moment of of KJ Wright signing the contract, getting emotional. Pete comes over to hug him. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on Seahawks uh, Twitter page, Twitter Twitter or Instagram page. Definitely worth seeing. He has some really um, powerful things to say, some really emotional things to say over his retirement press conference. So if you haven't checked that out, it's another good watch. Just the exact kind of goodbye, the send off that KJ really deserved. He ended his career on a pretty high note, especially for the Seahawks. Um, he had an NFL season of having 10 tackles for loss and 10 passes defense. He was the only NFL player to end on that note. It's an incredible feat, especially considering he was playing out of position for a lot of that. So KJ put some of his best out there on the field. And I think it was a good decision. The organization is moving in a different direction. They're looking for younger, faster. They're in a whole new scheme that does not complement any part of KJ Wright's game, as he's not a threat from the past, but from a past rust perspective, at least. And he's not really that good in coverage anymore because his loss of speed has just lost some 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 speed and as well as some athleticism that he had. And so those aren't good matchups for him. It just was time to move on, but you got to do it in the right way. K.J. Wright still saying that he plans on being around. He's going to have a suite and watch all the games. There's nothing I love to hear more than K.J. Wright still remaining a part of the Seahawks family. He is the definition of a Seahawks through and through. Great person. uh, Well-respected in the locker room. Well-respected really in all areas of facets. And he ended his 11-year career with 992 tackles. Yehady couldn't get that extra eight just to get that 1,000 tackle mark, but but still an incredible feat. 68 tackles for a loss, 27 QB hits, 13.5 sacks, 13.5 sacks, and 11 forced fumbles in his 11-year career. He did make a Pro Bowl in 2016, and he ended his 2021 season 
as a top 100 player. Uh, he he landed at number 67, which is an incredible feat and it will deserved, will earn for him to get some kind of recognition for all that he's done for the Seattle Seahawks organization and the Seattle city as, as a whole. So it's great to see KJ Wright, but he was not alone in his retirement ceremonies. Chris Carson, after five years, has officially retired. This we saw coming, I think Pete Carroll's comments, and we talked about it on Parsing Pete, was sort of indicative of that. It really directly implied that he was facing retirement. And unless something, basically some miracle happened, he was going to end up having to do that. And he was just, you know, Chris was just taking the time to process it and try to get back. But I think Seattle already knew, and that's a big part of why they decided to take Ken Walker the third in the second round. That was a, con- a, per- a point of controversy for many, but I understood it. I, I understand. I, I, it took me a minute, but seeing the, the situation with Chris Carson and how good of a talent I think Ken Walker the third is, it was a good decision. It was a smart decision. It was with forethought, and I think this front office needs to prove that it can, you know, be proactive and not just reactive. And I think that's this was a proactive decision to cover themselves uh, because even with Chris Carson. This team, the, the this team has just suffered a ton of injuries at running back just from each and every turn. So you can, I'm not going to say you can never have too many running backs, but it seems like with the Seattle Seahawks franchise, you want to err on the side of caution. Five running backs last season on the active roster and still ended up having injury issues be a real um, factor to the running game. So it was sad to see Chris Carson, even more so because his career was cut short. He was forced to medically retire with his neck injury. He just could not come over the hump of the full range of motion that he needed in order to be able to play football, unfortunately. So he ends his career at 3,502 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns, and an 81% catch rate is actually, he does not get a lot of credit for being a good receiving back, but he was actually pretty good um, when given opportunities. He actually caught 100% of his passes in small sample size last year. So Chris Carson made his mark by having back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in both 2018 and 2019, where he was really one of the top five running backs in the league that year. Uh, he really showed himself to be top of the league in, in yards per carry and rushing, all of that. And then he was able to, even in 2021, make the top 100 players himself. He placed at number 96, but and also a, a well-deserved uh, uh, honorable mention or a well-deserved recognition for the work that he's done. Chris Carson was the embodiment of everything you'd love to see in a Seattle running back. He was the closest thing to Marshawn Lynch, Lynch that this team ever saw. And he was no Marshawn Lynch, but just his style of running, the the power with which he ran, his athleticism, his ability to just sometimes just be, you know, he'd have me in awe with some of the, the, the number of, of DBs he'd have just falling off of him as he continues to run hard uh, for this team. I'll always remember him as that player. He was, well, honestly, he's he's my favorite back outside of Marshawn Lynch that I think we've had in, in, in this era. I know Sean Alexander, uh, all of that, but Chris Carson is special to the Seahawks fan base. He's no Sean Alexander, he's no Marshawn Lynch, but he's right there, I think, um, in, the, in the tier below in the hearts of many. Um, for 
everything that he did and represented out there on that field. And finally, a surprise retirement was J.R. Sweezy, the the guard that Seahawks drafted back in 2012. He had not played for a couple of years, and so uh, they officially retired him. He was a really important part of the Super Bowl teams, put up a couple of really solid seasons for the Seahawks during the Super Bowl run year, during the Legion of Boom era. And uh, it was good to see him kind of come back home as well. He's not as notable because he has spent recent years away from the team. The last time he played for the Seahawks was 2018 for one season. But it was still good for him to come home. A great story for him being a seventh-round pick and ultimately being able to do enough to earn a spot to retire with this organization that drafted you. So it's pretty incredible accomplishments. We did a lot of saying goodbye, a lot of high emotions, from uh, for all the Seahawks fan base, definitely got our feel after a few weeks of not having really any news. The Seahawks hit the ground running and gave us all the news at once. And so uh, that was good to see. But that was not it. It was not just a bunch of retirements that we heard about this week. A lot of other things went down. So let's get into those things, too. Shortly after the news of all the retirements dropped, we got an update that DK Metcalf, Got the bag. That's right. He absolutely got the bag, signed a three-year, $72 million extension with $58.2 million guaranteed up front. And this was a win-win situation for the Seattle Seahawks and for DK Metcalf. DK gets a lot of his money guaranteed up front. His money, his, his guaranteed money was more than any wide receiver at the time of signing, which was $30 million guaranteed at the time of signing. So he gets to stake his claim in that. He also gets the opportunity to go out and to be a free agent again at the age of 28, I believe he'll be, when he would go into free agency because he still does have a year on that deal. So I think he'll be 28, if I'm not mistaken, by the time he becomes a free agent. So he'd be smack dab in the middle of his prime. He'd still warrant probably quite a lot of money as a wide receiver, but he got a lot of money up front. And I think long-term for him, he might've put himself in the best situation to get more money over an extended period of time. While AJ Brown had a four-year deal, a lot of his money is kind of pumped up by the last year. Pretty much, he got a lot of fluff stuff, and they could choose to cut him in that fourth year. You never know what's going to happen with that fourth year, but through the first three years, DK will actually have made more money, and he'll be in the position to go out and be in free agency. Now, a few other wide receivers like Debo Samuel and Terry McLaurin, they also got three-year deals really similar to that of DK Metcalf, so they will have the opportunity to go to free agency early as well, but I think DK will always be looked at in and then maybe I could be wrong, but three years from now, I just think with DK's size and just sort of the, the speed size combo that he has, he'll be able to grip to gain even more money in the open market than he um than he is now. Robert receiver market is going to be crazy by then. So I think he set himself up really nicely. And it's a win from the team perspective is that really you got him for less than AJ Brown. And I didn't, Think, nor did a lot of people think that that was possible, that DK, we all thought DK was going to command more money than that. And he chose to probably give himself 
you know, especially when you're looking at a per year basis, he's giving himself less money. I think, like I said, I do believe ultimately more DK will see more of his contract money because he did it up front. But, you know, when you took when you're looking at average per year, that's less than the D, that's less than the AJ Brown deal. And that's a huge win for this team. And I don't hate the three years because I still think that gives the team flexibility. This team is still in flux. And so for those who were like, well, we're not good right now. Don't want to waste money on a wide receiver when you're not good. My thing is, no matter who the quarterback is, you're going to need a reliable wide receiver or your offense is in trouble. You need a reliable guy like that who can command the attention of a defense to give your quarterback the best opportunity for success, no matter the circumstances of the team. And DK's size and speed combination is unheard. I mean, there's no one else like him in this league. The closest that we've ever seen is Calvin Johnson, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time and a Hall of Famer. So for me, it warrants, even if, we're not going to be good. The team is not going to experience success. You, you still need to invest money in a wide receiver, particularly a generational talent type wide receiver like DK Metcalf. And I think it, I think it's it, it's good from a standpoint of giving the team flexibility. So it allows for you, you know, this this year is going to be a stopgap when it comes to the quarterback position. We already know that. We're looking at Gino or Drew Locke. But when you're looking at next year, you got a rookie, you give, you'll have a couple of years of seeing how that rookie and DK Metcalf connect. Does it, does it still work? Do they still fit? Or do you want to trade DK and find another valuable wide receiver um, or draft one? And you see your position to, to really evaluate where you are as a team, not be locked into a contract that, that won't fit the direction of where the team is going. And if it works out great, you can just extend DK again. And if it does not work out great, then you're not honed down or, or boggled down by any bad contract by any means, especially guys, when these, when these Amazon numbers, when this Amazon uh, money hits the NFL cap room, it can go up to up to $20 million per team, just in a year, per year basis. So this deal is going to look like a bargain just like two years from now, a year from now. I mean, it's, it's going to look like he's making bottom of the basement type money because that's just where the wide receiver market is going. That's where the cap space is going. There's just about to be a large increase. And so I think on every angle gives the team flexibility, gives DK flexibility, gives them security for this time period. It's not a bad deal for him or for the team. There is, I can find no fault at all with this DK contract is the absolute best case scenario, a scenario that I don't even think many fans nor media members thought was realistically possible. So great job on the Seahawks front office on getting that deal done. Great job on DK for being willing to do it, do what it takes and and stay for a franchise that he clearly does want to play for. And I thought that was apparent. I know he didn't show up for the mandatory minicamp, but I always thought that that was just more to make a statement. I really thought he felt like that was important to fuck. Like you said, he was bluffing. He, he bluffed with John Snyder like he'd go somewhere else. He really didn't want to. I thought that was obvious because he came to the voluntary things. In my mind, you don't go to the voluntary camp, and then when the mandatory camp shows up, you don't show up unless you're just trying to purely make a statement. It's still obvious that he wanted to be here 
it was obvious through interviews. He did an interview with Shannon Sharp. He made it clear that he wanted to stay with Seattle at that point. And you guys saw videos of him working out with Geno Smith. And to me, I'm not a wide receiver doing that. If this is not a team I want to be at, if this is not a team I'm invested in, DK believes in Geno. And we'll see about how things go with him and Drew Locke, but I think DK is fine with the situation. Sure, in some ways, you're going to miss Russell Wilson. But if you're DK, DK actually averaged more and had a better, you know, just in that small sample size, he had a better, better numbers. He actually averaged 4.67 receptions on 65.67 yards and one touchdown per game that Russell Wilson did not start. All of those averages are higher than his averages all season. So DK, I don't think, is the kind of wide receiver that was dependent on Russell Wilson in the same way that maybe a title like it is. We'll come back and talk about that a little bit more later. But I think DK can be successful no matter what. And something to keep in mind when you're looking at those stats, he was the second highest double-teamed wide receiver. It was Devontae Adams and then him, like 1% in terms of what wide receivers were double-teamed the most. And for him to still be able to reach that kind of great production under those circumstances, he's got something wrong with his foot, his quarterback's out, and he's still putting up good numbers. To me, that says this is an investment well worth making. People have questions about his attitude. I don't. DK is a competitor. He's passionate. He can sometimes be emotional. He's tough. He plays bully ball. He has not missed a single game up to this point. And he's just been everything that you'd want from this franchise. Is he flawed? Yes. But I think any wide receiver is passionate and should be willing to step up to the quarterback and hold him accountable like a Doug Baldwin did for Russell Wilson a lot. And I think Russ. Someone argue was better during some of those years with those with that accountability. And you want DK to play the same role with the next quarterback, whoever that is, to hold him accountable and say, hey, this is how I'm seeing things. Because DK gets frustrated, sure. But to me, I just see competitor. I don't see Diva. There's been no other indications about anything, anything he does off the field. Um in the in the locker room, there's no other diva quote-unquote, tendencies other than when people see him get frustrated about his targets. And generally, most people are agree with him. Most times when you're seeing DK upset, you also hear the commentators wondering why it's been so long since DK got a target and how important it is to get DK involved in the game. So how he gets this rep, I understand it, but I don't think it's accurate. So good, great deal all around. Um, DK up to this point, just to, I just want to take a couple minutes and really shout out how special this young man is. I think he gets some criticism and I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not warranted, but I think it's overblown. The criticism that he gets DK's biggest criticism is for not having good hands, right? This guy is a guy who in his first three seasons amassed three, 3,170 yards on 358 targets and caught 60% of his targets career-wise. Did you know that was higher than Calvin Johnson in his first few years than Larry Fitzgerald, who is known for his hands? 
in his first few years. I just think that the whole DK thing is overblown. He gets credit for, he gets, he gets criticism for dropping passes, but the reality is he only dropped 5.1% of his passes last year. That was lower than a Debo Samuel, than an A.J. Brown, than a Tariq Hill, Mike Evans, than a lot of wide receivers who some considered to have better years. And all of this was, again, on a broken foot. People say that DK is just a deep ball threat, that he doesn't really run any other routes. Well, PFF graded him a 92.6 on short passes last year. They graded him a 95.7 on intermediate passes last year. What was his lower ranking? Deep ball passes, actually, at 77%. Now, that had a lot to do with Russell Wilson not really throwing the deep ball that well because of his finger coming back too early. All of those things played a part in his lower production. I don't think it's that DK suddenly couldn't get open in those areas. I just think that that was indicative of more of the situation. But considering that he was he is considered just only a deep ball threat, you're actually happy to hear that that was one of his lower areas of weakness because he'll always have that to fall back on. I mean, that was, that's a big part of his game too. So overall, a lot of positives. Really happy about this young man. If you break down the cap hits, it works out very well for the team. There's only going to be an $8 million cap hit for the team um, this upcoming year. Then it goes to $13 million in 23, $24 million in 24, and $29 million in 2025, in which you'd be in the position to probably extend him, maybe reduce that, because I don't really think the Seahawks are going to pay $30 million, a $30 million cap hit for DK. So at that point, you're talking either you would extend him out and sort of brought that cap hit down. But maybe then this wide receiver market is so crazy that at that point, maybe that is a bargain and it's not really worth blinking it. So we'll see um, what the cap looks like at that point, but very reasonable deal all around again. And I'm going to be dead horse, but I just want to say how excited I am for this young man, how excited I am for this organization and everything that he stands for. I'm excited to see him continue to play and thrive no matter who is under center for the Seahawks this upcoming year. So with that, I think those are all of our major news points, but training camp has begun. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. First of all, we'd be remiss to talk about training camp and not talk about Jamal Adams, who did practice for the first training camp. But after day two of training camp was it was reported by Pete Carroll that Jamal Adams had gone to Dallas, I believe, to get um, his finger observed. They were saying his hand wasn't feeling right. And Seahawks Twitter was in panic. And honestly, I was a little bit. I'll be honest. I'll be, I'll be honest. I was, I was not happy to hear that. was very disappointed to hear that news because I, I have been a Jamal Adams believer in really wanting to believe that not necessarily he was worth the trade, but that he could be a valuable cornerstone piece for this franchise moving forward. And his health has a lot to do with that. There's no questions about what Jamal Adams can do when he's on the field. But if he's going to start breaking down at this early of an age, it really makes you regret this upcoming contract that we've got. And so I just had a question about him having another offseason when the defensive scheme is changing. And him, I, you, you don't want to hear that excuse from him, that he wasn't able to participate in offseason training camp. 
You really want to have him have that practice time out there because he needs it in this new defensive system. And thankfully, all of Seahawks Twitter could collectively (laughs) exhale when we found out that it was a broken finger, but that he would still be able to practice, participate. Um, today is a Monday. He was back with the team and practicing on the field. So those are that's exactly what you want to see. It's just a broken finger. You'd love for it to be nothing because it was from only one practice. But I believe he got his hand caught in a face mask and it broke his finger. Understandable. So all all ends up being well on the Jamal Adams front. We can we just have to hope that he can remain healthy for the rest of this offseason, that the broken finger is the only thing that he has to deal with so he can go into the season healthy because the Seahawks are going to need this defense to be, I think, top 15, top 10, really, in order to be able to compete given the struggles that, that the team is just going to have at quarterback. Defense has to overcompensate for that, and I believe they're properly positioned to do so, but it's going to require having that chemistry earlier, having that own work, having those having to own the work uh, on work um, reps. You want them on the field. You want them communicating, learning, learning the communication, learning the calls, getting acquainted, all those things, so that this team can start off strong defensively. There is no, and I mean no room for the slow starts that the Seahawks have had on defense in the past years. This has got to be the year the Seahawks hit the ground running defensively, especially. And I think that if Jamal Adams can remain healthy, it goes a long way to help making sure that that does take place. So let's take a minute to talk about where we are at this point with the quarterback battles. I know the majority of everybody wants to see Drew Locke take over that starting position. I think just because of something different is is the general consensus from what I've read on social media. And I think that for those who want Drew Locke to start, Drew Locke has played. He's had some rough times, but I think the past two practices, he has been better than Geno Smith. And day three of training camp, Drew Locke threw for four touchdowns and one interception. Today, they had a red red zone drill, and he was two for four compared to Geno's 0 for four. So that's promising, at least now. This was versus the twos. So Drew Locke has gotten some, some starter reps, but they have not been a lot of starter reps. Just enough to get his feet wet so the offense, so the team can see how he looks. Drew has still struggled with decision-making, and I think that will be the thing where if he does not take the, if he does not take over the starting role, in my mind, is if nothing else, if Drew Locke does not start, it'll be because of the decision-making. He did have some poor decision-makings in day one and day two, just some ill-advised passes all around. And that's one of the things that Pete Carroll does not have the tolerance for. Drew's going to have to go an extended period of time without making a poor play because Drew has the arm talent on Gino. He's got that advantage. But when it comes to the leadership part, I don't think that Drew Locke has shown any of that. And I don't think that he's shown better decision-making consistently at this point. And that's what would concern the Seattle Seahawks in terms of making him the starter. Leadership is important especially for this team and this franchise's organization full of leaders, the quarterback needs to be looked at as a leader. And I have yet to hear any other player refer to Drew as a leader of the team. 
I haven't really seen him put any effort and not everything goes into social media. So I'm not saying that he has to put his workouts and things on social media, but that's something that Gino has done. And I think it's done a great deal to have the players rally around him. You'd like to see Drew Locke, if he's going to take over this team, you'd like to see him in more leadership roles and not just kind of there. It seems like he's just kind of there competing at least when it comes to a leadership perspective. And you just haven't heard much else. I even heard DK when he was getting his extension, he was talking about the different leaders on this team and he mentioned Gino. And that may be one of the things that puts Gino on the edge. I know a lot of you guys don't want to hear that. And we'll see, there's still plenty of time for things to change because if, if Gino is going to go 0 for 4 in, in red zone drills consistently throughout the rest of this offseason, then that's going to that's gonna put... Drew Locke and a good opportunity to to show that to show that up. And so we'll see to be determined, but the offense is going to struggle. It has not looked good up to this point. The defense, though, has shined tremendously, and that is in large part because the cornerback room that we've been – I know I've talked about the excitement level for, for with all the competition that they have, all the talent. Kobe Bryant in particular has been a star in each of the past – training camp sessions with at least one pass deflected, but oftentimes multiple pass deflections. Sidney Jones, there's been reports about him looking good. Tariq Woolen is still looking very freakishly athletic, still needing some room to grow, some room to put things together, but he he looks very promising as well. Lots to be excited about from this defense, but still a lot of questions about the offense. It's still very early in camp. That needs to be mentioned, and so – these guys need some time to get into their rhythm. They've shown some ups. They've shown some downs. So Gino, it's been reported that he had about four catches with Tyler Lockett, that that's shown to be a, a chemistry that's building between Tyler Lockett and Gino Smith, which you love to hear because there was concern about Tyler Lockett's ability to succeed without Russell Wilson. So happy to hear that's taking place. you really like to see – more consistency from both of these cornerbacks. No no quarterback has just came up and grabbed the job at this point. Gino is still considered ahead at this point in the race, but there is a door that's being left open for Drew Locke to come in and take over. So we'll see. A lot to be determined, but um, early signs seem to point that the defense will be stronger as it should be at this point, as you would expect. And just one last mention, a note for training camp. Abraham Lucas is for who many presumed to be starting for the Seattle Seahawks has not taken any first team reps at this point through OTAs, minicamp, and even now through training camp. The starters have been Jake Curham. They've gone with him. And they've actually given Stone foresight a couple of reps at first team. People didn't really take Stone foresight at right tackle seriously, but it seems like he's worked on that area enough to be competitive, at least more competitive than the Abe Lucas. And so Abe Lucas might be more of a second year starter. I'd be very surprised if in the first half of the season, they really put him in. I think they want him to get more comfortable. There's obviously a reason why they're not starting him because they're starting Charles Cross. It's not a thing where they're just unopposed to unopposed to putting in rookies. Charles Cross is still getting all the first team reps, but he was considered more elite and more well-rounded. I think Abe Lucas might really be struggling with the run game, which if 
the run, it, when you're talking about this offense, the run game is so important that I can see how they really want somebody who can thrive in that run game and maybe not struggle as much as Abe Lucas will because of how important it will be to the success of the quarterback. Really, the quarterback won't be able to succeed at all if they can't get a good running game going. So I think they're just going with people who they know can do, have proven to get better at at or to be good at the run game. Jake Curran thrived in the run game, so I understand why they want to start him there. And Stone, if Stone Forsythe has gotten better, he didn't initially, I, I think, I don't think anybody really thought he could play right tackle, but he's had a full year to get reps and get understanding and get experience in his belt to really have maybe a better grasp on some of those run game techniques than even able to discuss at this point that both teams really pass heavy offense in college. about for for all of you fans listening a lot of things I mean there's still concerns at quarterback but everybody anticipated there'd be concerns as quarterback that's pretty much just being manifested through practice a lot to, lot to be determined a lot to get into um I'll try to do more uh, more episodes more often as we get later into the year guys um as we get closer to preseason games i'll try to do previews for those so we'll start getting into the thick of it here in a little bit um but just be patient as we get through some of these news cycles um i'll do them as needed but in the meantime you can make sure to find me on twitter at candace h 901 make sure to follow the show on ethos seahawks at ethos seahawks make sure to give us a like a follow Please share this podcast with anybody who you know, any of the 12 great football content that we'll have coming up here. Um, I'll try to do a parsing Pete here soon as it's relevant as he continues to do these press conferences. A lot of things came out in the past week. Excited about this upcoming week. That's it. I'm out. And as always, go hard.